Welcome, flower friends, to the Local Flowers Podcast, where you'll fall in love with local seasonal blooms even more by hearing the stories from flower farmers new and experienced. I'm your host, Rochelle, from Freckled Bloom Flower Farm. Welcome. Hey, friends, and welcome to this week's Flower Farmer Chat. So I am entering into my fourth season of flower farming. Every year, I'm gaining more knowledge, understanding of how to be more efficient, and also more sustainable and environmentally conscientious. So I'm constantly just following folks for inspiration, trying to learn more about the products I'm using and inputting back into my farm. And in this journey, I started doing soil blocking. I absolutely love it. I feel like I can be way more efficient, profitable, and just being more conscientious of the inputs I'm putting into my farm by doing soil blocking. As I spent most of this last weekend planting my cool flowers, I was just thanking myself over and over again. I mean, the transplanting alone is like 17 million times faster than if you're looking at pulling something out of a plug tray. But as I have gained my knowledge in my processes, I'm also trying to find companies and especially small businesses that are being innovators in our field. And I came across Wild Valley Farms and have really fallen in love with their journey and their story and the creation of their wool pellets. I've learned so much about the benefits of wool and what it does for our environment, but then also just the benefits of using it in my soil medium as I'm building my soil blocks. Long story short, uh, you gotta listen to the interview with Albert, but I am so excited to share this conversation I had with Albert. He really dives deep into a lot of the research that he has been instrumental in creating because this This is a new innovative way to creating a resource that not only creates healthier plants, but it's benefiting our environment. So as we're starting to just look at all of our inputs and their environmental impacts and just a new way of life, finding products like the wool pellets really will be instrumental across all industries. I mean, let's just talk about the water retention. As water becomes such a scarce resource, this is an alternative, a sustainable alternative to helping us continue to grow our crops, but then also just being better stewards of our land, our water, and just every input that we use as farmers. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, hey friends, welcome to the podcast. So I have a little bit of a different plan for today's flower farmer chat. I've got Albert from Wild Valley Farms, and y'all know that I love soil blocking. And as I ventured into the world of soil blocking, I came across a couple different flower farmers that were using wool pellets in their soil blocking mix. And so I came across Wild Valley Farms and really started geeking out on their website and diving deep into all the different products they offer. So, and Albert will chime in here in a second and tell us way more about the Wild Valley Farms. But they sell wool pellets, compost tea, compost. And so I just thought it would be amazing to have Albert Albert on the podcast to tell us all about the different product offerings and just tell us a little bit more about Wild Valley Farms and their history and their products going forward into the future. So welcome Albert to the podcast.
podcast. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you very much for having me on on your podcast. You know, it's it's always great to to try and uh, educate people because the products that we have, like the wool pellets, are so new. So people have not heard about using wool in the garden or you know with soil blocking or they don't understand what the benefits are or any of that. And so yeah, it's great to be able to share that with others. A little bit, I guess, about me and about our farm. So we live in a very small town. There's about 200 people. We live up in the mountains of Utah. My family's run the the farm and ranch for about six generations. And so my great, great, great grandfather, uh, they had come over from England and they were coal miners actually, but they wanted to get out of that. And and the U.S. provided them the opportunity to have uh, some land. And that was very intriguing for them. So they came and started actually with chickens and started raising chickens because it doesn't need a, a lot of space as much, you know, compared to sheep and cattle. And But as they continued to grow, they started adding other animals. And eventually we ended up with about 2,800 sheep and we have about 20, or I mean about 250 cows to now down to me. You know, I always wanted to work on the farm. I love the lifestyle. You know, I wanted to raise my children the way that I was raised. The problem with farming today is that there's not a lot of income. And so the profitability is really difficult. And I always kind of understood that I would have to try and do something. And I had a friend of mine that he runs a pallet company and he recycles pallets, fixes them back up and then sells them again. And then once they're too bad, he actually grinds them up and then they'll uh, use them as mulch. He was selling to a lot of landscapers and nurseries in the Salt Lake Valley. And so he told me, he said, well, you have the animals and you have the space and you have water. Like, why don't you make compost? And then I'll just sell it. And I thought, well, that would be great because that's something I could just do on the side. I wouldn't have to do a ton of it. I don't have to do the marketing. I don't have to do the sales. And so, yeah, I, I started kind of looking into it. The problem that we had is all of our animals are on the range. So we don't produce large piles of manure. But as I talked with the NRCS, a lady there in NRCS said, well, there's a lot of farms that do have a problem. So if you do want to make compost, I will line you up with some of these other farms that have issues with their manure. And so that's what I started doing. Started making compost. And the agreement was with my friend that he would, I, I would just make it. And then he would bring the truck up and he brought the loader and he would load it and he would take it and he would sell it. And, and then he would just, you know, pay me half. And so I thought that was a pretty good deal. As I started doing this, then my wife, she loves her plants. You know, we have a porch. She loves to have her plants there on the porch and and hanging baskets and different things. And she asked me, she said, hey, can't you come up with a way so I don't have to water as often? And she was kind of thinking a drip irrigation system. But as a farmer, I was like, well, I know wool holds water and we've got all this excess wool. Why just throw it away? I'll just put it around her plants. And so that's what I did. She came out and looked at it and was like, why did I marry a farmer? Like, what are you doing? I said, it, it'll work. It didn't look great, but we were able to go on vacation that summer and we didn't have anyone to water the plants. And we came home seven days later and the plants looked fantastic. They not only were not wilted, but they were also like they looked good, you know, even better. My wife was like, I think you may have something, right? Like if that holds water, because, you know, usually these hanging baskets, she's like, I'm watering every day. You know, this is, these still look great. So anyway, my friend who I was making the compost for, he actually bought a big 
wood pellet mill um, just like that year. And uh, jokingly, I told him, I said, well, now that you bought this pellet mill, maybe I should bring some wool down and we'll try and run wool and see if we can make some wool pellets. And I was surprised when he just was like, okay, bring it down. Let's, we'll try it. And, you know, because it's, I mean, it's a million dollar mill. And I was like, well, hopefully we don't break it. Anyway, we took us about a week to be able to figure out how to modify the mill so that we could run the wool and, you know, what we needed to do with the wool to be able to make pellets. And But we, we finally got them done. It was right before we went to make the pellets, I had a local greenhouse grower who was wanting to grow tomatoes organically. And so he had called me up and said, hey, do you have any organic steer manure? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, can I come up and get a sample of it? So he came up to get a sample of the organic steer manure that we had. I told him about these wool pellets. Through our extension agent, I had found a study from the University of Berlin um, that just showed that wool was a suitable fertilizer for tomatoes. Like it didn't say much more than that. It didn't give any percentages. It didn't, you know, it was just very simple and basic saying that it wool worked. I told him, I said, well, you know, I've got this study that have you ever thought of using wool pellets? I haven't even made them yet, but I'm going to make them in like a week. He's like, no, He's like, I've been in the business 40 years. You know, I, I'm not really interested. But he went home that night and must have been somewhat interested because he talked to his consultant, which was a professor emeritus from Michigan State, and asked him, have you ever heard of anyone using wool as water holding or fertilizing the professor said no never heard of it it couldn't be that good it's just a protein like hair it would be two or three percent nitrogen he's like but so i don't think it'll be i don't think it's that great but i'll look into it and if i find anything i'll let you know so he looked into it found the exact same study that i had uh called him back 10 minutes later and said hey maybe you should talk to this guy because i found this study and it shows that it is a effective fertilizer for tomatoes so maybe that would work for what your project is and he called me that night he came up the next day we talked about it i said well soon as I get the pellets made in a week, I'll bring them up. And so we started running trials there in his greenhouse. It was amazing. We did a lot of different trials. One of the trials that we did do obviously was with the tomatoes. He was using blood meal as the organic fertilizer and then blending in, like I said, the organic steer manure to try and grow those tomatoes to be market ready from seed. So then we did a trial where we did, we ran a, a control group, which was just, and they were using peat, but it was just peat, perlite, and no fertilizer whatsoever. And then they ran group that was the peat, the perlite, and then the blood meal with uh, as a fertilizer. And then we did one group that was the peat we cut out the perlite and just used the wool pellets because we had found through one of our other trials that by using the wool pellets it was creating the porosity that we needed so we could cut out the perlite he was amazed because everything in his greenhouse is automated when he added the wool pellets into his mix and then the automation just filled the pots up to the regular height that they're set fill to then they added the water and the, the growing media actually expanded and it started to overflow the pots he was just like what I've never, that's never happened. Like the soil always compresses. And here the soil was, was expanding because the wool pellets were expanding. So yeah, we just cut the perlite out. So that next group was the peat, the wool pellets, and blood meal. And then we did another 
two more groups and the last two groups were just peat and wool pellets. And we did a 5% by volume of wool pellets and we did a 10% by volume of wool pellets. And it was taking him 76 days to grow those tomatoes organically uh, to be market ready. So that's from seed up, you know, about, uh, I don't know, six inches. Anyway, at 38 days, he had called me up and he said, hey, come down tomorrow. And it was at 38 days that we went down and checked this out. The tomato plants that had no fertilizer grew as expected, not very well. The tomatoes with the blood meal had grew as he had expected, um, which wasn't very much better than the ones without any fertilizer. And then the ones that had the blood meal and the wool pellets were much better than the straight blood meal, but they were not nearly as good as the 5% straight wool pellets with the peat. And the, the difference between the 5% and the 10%, I, and, and they're way better. I mean, they were almost twice as tall as the ones with blood meal. And the ones with blood meal were twice as full and tall as the ones with just straight blood meal. And so, I mean, there was an obvious benefit, but the difference between the 5 and the 10%, you couldn't tell. So because of that, that trial, then the professor from Michigan State said, you know, he's like, this is fantastic, but I don't believe that it worked that way. Like some Something happened. So there's something wrong here. And so he's like, we need to go to a university and actually have a university study um, where everything's perfectly controlled and, and everything. The greenhouse grower is kind of offended because he's like, I did everything perfect, right? But uh, he lined us up to go to Utah State and we did, uh, they replicated the trial. They looked for what the release curve was of the wool pellets for the nutrition. Like I say, it, it turned out exactly the same. The tomatoes at 38 days were market ready. The release curve of the wool was amazing. And it was it was different than what the either of the professors had expected because usually on a release curve, there's it's a bell curve. The professor from Utah State had done a study on uh, the polymer coated or the time release, slow release fertilizers that are really well known in the market. But anyway, their release curves, you know, are some of them spike really high and then they drop and then some of them are come a little bit later and go blood meal. We added blood meal because no one else had had used an organic to try and find what the release curve of organic fertilizers were. So we wanted to be able to compare that. And the blood meal was below the 1200 parts per million, which is what the greenhouse grower is wanting uh, for his plants consistently. The blood meal was didn't reach 1200 parts per million until about day 45. And then from there, you know, it was just kind of your regular release curve, which it did have a, a higher kick. So, I mean, it starts on curve and it kind of flattens out. And then all of a sudden, it has a low uh, kick later, which was interesting. But then the wool pellets actually started at 4,000 parts per million on day one. So on day one, it's feeding, I mean, the nutrition is available for the plants. And then it was dropping and it dropped down to about 800 parts per million where it, it troughed out at day 20. And then it started going back up. And what we found was that because we're using raw wool uh, straight off the sheep, it hasn't been washed, it hasn't been scoured, then the, the natural lanolin, the grease, and that is providing a quick release to the plant. And that's what, I mean, a lot of people see that when they when they start to grow. They're like, here's my plant that with my regular recipe and now this is with the wool pellets and, and this was planted later and, and it looks so much better or because uh, of that reason when you're using organics is usually 
you've got a lag time uh, before you see the benefits. With the wool pellets, you're seeing that benefit quickly. And so we've gone on to do studies with water holding studies with the University of Florida. We've done studies with the University of Vermont with row crops, um, which was a fantastic study. They actually used three different soil types and they were comparing that with organic and synthetic uh, fertilizers. One of the things that they were looking for is an organic fertilizer that would not leach into the waterways um, to try and protect the waterways like Lake Champlain and that. And so that was a huge uh, benefit with the wool pellets is because they are holding the moisture and you can use less of it. You, you know, you actually water less. And that's one of the big things that we've had to educate people with is they start using wool pellets. And, and just like our tomato trial where we had 5%, 10% through Utah State, we found that 3 to 5% is about ideal where you're getting the most benefit of the nutrition and yet you're getting the cost effectiveness of it. Because obviously at 10, you're adding double the expense, but if it's not doing any better than the five, why would you add the 10? And so, you know, that's kind of what we found. And so with the University of Vermont, they found that it was able to, to do better, have better yields with the crop. The crops were actually able to be harvested earlier with the wool pellets than the other organics. And they were able to compete with the synthetic. That was a really great study. And the sandy soil that they used, the harvest yields were a lot less, but it was much higher with the wool pellets. That was the biggest difference in yield is with the sandy soil compared to the, the clay soil or the, the loam. And so that was a very interesting study. And so it's been a kind of a wild ride. You know, this is coming from farming background. Like I said, with the compost, I, I didn't ever plan to, to try and do sales or marketing or kind of that business aspect of it. But because of the wool pellets and, and that and trying to get the education out, that's what now I'm doing. And so we've been able to grow and we're a small family company, but it's been good and it's it's been a lot of fun. Albert, that's so exciting to hear. And I love hearing just how the studies are evolving and just getting more education out there. You know, as our climate is changing, water is becoming a scarce resource, even just the use of heat and the sustainability of it and moving into the future. If we have these resources like wool that not only offer the water retention, you're using less water, but they offer an organic natural fertilizer also. And then the sheep have this benefit in the entire ecosystem. It just, especially from a flower farmer's perspective who focuses, I'm not certified organic, but I practice organic practices. It's a great resource that I can use on my farm that I can continue that sustainability journey that I'm on. So it's super exciting to hear all your adventure from just creating compost to now you're making wool pellets. And so I have all kinds of questions. <laughs> I grew up, my family has been farming for multiple generations. My dad retired in 2020 and he blessed his stars when he retired in 2020 because, you know, just the pandemic and the cost of inputs in farming are so skyrocketing. And like you said, it's becoming unsustainable to be a small farm. You know, you're seeing more corporate farms taking over because they have the economies of scale, but then uh, that's a whole nother soapbox that I have. But for these smaller ranchers, farmers that focused on those primary products around produce and beef, they are struggling to make a good living. They're working their butts off 24-7 to 
make not that great of a living for their families. And so I've talked to several different farmers. One, we just talked, her family has been farming commodity crops and she introduced flower farming to the farm and it's doing, you know, amazing compared to the commodity crops. So if we could, like you, find ways to diversify our farms to create income streams that are extremely profitable while still continuing to grow the commodity crops, the beef, etc. I think it's such an amazing thing to shine light on and that's why I was so excited that you wanted to join us here on the podcast and I just think it's education is power. You know, I left farming to pursue a degree and a career in healthcare for over 20 years but I always knew there was something that was going to draw me back to ag and I was really always very passionate about education. I saw my family struggle to, you know, they were squeezing pennies together, seeing a lot of these farmers struggle. And my husband, who's now a Christmas tree farmer, I just keep saying, you guys have to tell your story because folks have lost touch with what it takes to grow our food. And it's really important for us to show that your family is supporting your community of 200. Like I can only imagine now the opportunities your community has because you're expanding your business. And so I just think it's so important to tell our story. And I'm just excited that you're here. Going back to your wife's planters. So I live in the forest and we have lots of moss that falls down from the trees and I'll collect it and I line my pots with it. My whole purpose was just to keep the soil every time I watered in the pot versus flowing out of it. But um, that's an amazing way to market your wool is just think of all those people that have planters and hanging baskets can now use wool pellets to hopefully line their containers, retain the moisture and see significant growth. So I think that's an opportunity there too. Then leads me to my question of what's the difference between if you were to use wool pellets versus if you were just shearing, say, uh, a sheep and you had just the natural wool itself? What's kind of the difference between the two? You know, when we did the Utah State study to find the release curve, we actually used wool that was unpelletized in the study also to try and see what the difference was. And especially with the release curve of of nutrients and you can go on our website and I think we have that graph on there that shows the differences and you what you see is that the release curve mirrors each other but the one or the pellet line is much higher than the fluff wool line and the reason that we the conclusion we came to about that is one that even though you take a handful of wool and you're trying to stuff it in somewhere one and that's one reason why I pelletized it or wanted to try and pelletize it is because when I stuffed it around my wife's plants, it's hard. It's hard to do that and it's hard to try and get it in there, but you're actually not getting quite as much. Just the amount of wool that, you, that is in the pellet when it's compressed is adding, is a lot denser. And so you're actually getting a concentrated benefit there uh, of, nu- of nutrients. And so the, the release curve is the same, whether you're using flat wool or pelletized wool, but then it's not the same as uh, like nutrition wise. 
because obviously the weight that you've got in your hand isn't the same. The other thing that happens also with the wool pellet is when the wool is pelletized, you know, just like your wool clothes or that, the wool always tries to spring back. And so when you, when it's pelletized and as soon as the water hits it, then that pellet is expanding and it will help create porosity up and down your, your column of media or your substrate. And so that's a huge benefit because like I said, by being able to cut out perlite, which is also a mined product that's not sustainable. So by being able to cut that out, you are able to maintain the porosity, that oxygen space that the root zone needs. When you have just fluff, you know, you're like, well, I'm going to add it right to the bottom. And that, that could be great for the bottom part, but the soil will help compress that a bit, but it doesn't help as much with the porosity overall throughout the column. And so that was one benefit also we found. And one of the things that uh, is interesting is people using cocoa core, the cocoa core will absorb water way better. I mean, peat is hydrophobic. And a lot of people don't understand that about peat, but it's actually hydrophobic. And so with peat, they actually have to add a wetting agent or a surfactant. And there's only two now organic wetting agents for peat. One's wool pellets, one is the yucca extract. That has to be added or else the, the water doesn't go down into the peat. And the biggest problem that people have with hanging baskets typically is, you know, a greenhouse grower who's using peat in their hanging basket, it's grown in the perfect conditions and it's usually watered and there's feed in the water and plants will absorb a lot of nutrition through their leaves rather than just from their roots. And so in the greenhouse, they're spraying this overhead foliage spray with the water and the plants look great. And then a person gets them home and the person starts going, well, I'm going to water my hanging basket and they, they add the water to it and the water will at first kind of go down evenly because of the surfactant but within a month or so that surfactant is kind of wearing off and with peat what's happening is the water is just kind of making little tunnels down through and so that water will just start draining right through. Well, then people go, oh, well, the plant's not looking as good. And it's not because it's been starving. It's not getting the nutrition that it was used to in the greenhouse being sprayed with a foliar spray. So then people go, well, I'm going to mix a miracle Grow or something into the water and I'll pour it in there. Well, the plant can only try and grab that as the water's going down through these little tunnels. So, you know, and then you and you always get that water coming right out the bottom. And that's, that's a real problem. The nice thing about the wool pellets are, that you don't need the surfactant it'll but even with the cocoa core it'll help even out that water all up and down the column like if the wool pellets are mixed in like if they're just on the top or they're just on the bottom you don't get that benefit but if they're mixed in just like you would a perlite or vermiculite for the porosity's sake then you're actually helping to level out your watering all through the column and that's really what makes it so that you can water less and one of the uh, trials or one of the studies that we did was actually called a wilt test with that wilt test what we did is we grew flowers they were petunias and patients we grew them up so tall and then just stopped watering them and you would look each day you'd look at them to see when the plant wilted when it became critical and when it became when it died so using the exact same soils the only difference between the soil was or the substrate was the wool pellets and so the petunias on day one without the wool pellet added in day one to two they had will day three to four they were critical and by day five they were dead by the, the same substrate with the wool pellets in it we didn't have wilt until day seven they weren't critical until day 12 and the plants weren't dead until day 14 so we thought by 
wow, that's amazing. There is a lot of difference between just the pellet and just trying to have wool. And, and there's also a difference between having it just on the top rather than mixed in. That is incredible. And it makes me think of, so I practice no-till and I'm just curious from an application like on a larger scale to be able to mix that wool, the wool pellets and say like your compost while you're spreading it across your field. Have you guys done any studies with that or any examples past just kind of the potted plants, but kind of more on the larger scale? So our study with the University of Vermont was actually with row crops. So that was a field trial. You know, when they called me up, I had just experimented just in our field here. And I actually had used corn um, because it's a high nitrogen plant. And, you know, in the valley that I live in, I mean, we're at a, at a mile high. We don't grow corn very well. It doesn't, you know, we don't have a long enough season typically, but we wanted to try and grow the corn because of, of the high nitrogen intake. And so we actually, what I did is I just mixed the wool pellets right with the corn seed. And then we planted it with, which we don't have a corn planter, but we just planted it through our John Deere drill that we usually plant like our alfalfa or our barley or oats. So just in the hopper of the barley and oat hopper, we just mixed the wool pellets with the corn seed and drilled it in that way. So when I explained this to the University of Vermont, they were like, oh, okay. Because typically in ag, people have been used to just broadcasting fertilizer over the whole field. And this using the wool pellets, it's too expensive. Even just to transport the wool or to get it pelletized is way more expensive than say manure, right? I mean, you go pick up the manure, it's not even a penny a pound. And yet there's no way you can even get the wool transported for that cheap, let alone pelletized. You know, that's where we kind of focused on a new way of fertilizing, which is just more targeted. That way you're not feeding any of the weeds. You're not, you're only feeding your crop. And so with the University of Vermont, that's exactly what they did, which anyone can look up the, the study that they did. You can just look up University of Vermont wool pellet study. And like I said, it's it's fantastic. But, you know, and seeing the difference, like they have the one picture there of the row with, with wool pellets and the one without. And just the color of those vegetables are, you know, I mean, one, the plants are bigger, but the color is just amazing, the difference. And so, you know, and a lot of that is the nitrogen that the plant needs. And so that's for large ag uh, application. You know, if you're doing acres, then, you know, that's what we recommend. I mean, even gardens, like for my garden, I don't just throw it in everywhere. I just put it in right when I uh, sow the seeds and that works great. That is so cool to hear, especially that you were so innovative. Farmers are the most innovative people. They don't wait for all the studies to sit around for decades. <laughs> they just give it a go and if it works, it works. If it not, they shake it off and try it again. But just the drilling the wool pellets in with the seed on a larger scale would be amazing. But like you said, if like say I'm, you know, starting my seeds off with success while soil blocking or if you're even doing it in the trays and you're incorporating it into your medium you're already setting that plan up for success for when you put it in the ground and just not only incorporating the wool and the nutrients into your soil when you're planting your crop so how many head of sheep do you have and I'm just curious from production standpoint what's your process do you only get the wool one time a year I'm just curious 
curious a little bit more about the operation. We run about 2,800 uh, sheep. You know, the sheep are sheared uh, once a year. With our operation, we usually shear right around the 1st of May is when we shear. And then the sheep will lamb. They start lambing about the 10th of May. And then the lambs will be with us until September. Typically, they are shipped off to another farmer. Um, a lot of them go and feed off fields like, you know, broccoli or strawberry or, you know, different, you know, feed crop. Like like actual human crop is what they go and feed off, you know, for the winter. And so using like California, Arizona, you know, those places. And then the sheep, the mothers, and we usually always keep about, well, we keep about 450 every year. And one thing that we do is we keep just the sheep with the higher quality wool. A lot of the buyers want a mixed breed. Like, uh, so we have, we run a, like a Rambouillet, which is a fine wool. And so most of the wool that we're producing, and this is how it's always been. I mean, new wool pellets are, are relatively new. Not relatively to that, they are new. But so everyone's in the sheep industry, usually you've been looking to have high quality wool. Something that you could sell into the textile industry to make socks, to make shirts, you know, clothing. So most of our wool from those 2,800 sheep goes to the textile industry. We sell it that way. With every sheep farmer, there's always what's considered low value wool or, you know, waste wool. So for us, that waste wool is the belly or the back end. Um, the back end usually because it has some manure with it. The belly because the sheep lay on it uh, all the time. And so it gets a lot of the bedding and the, you know, dirt and sticks and other things in it. Because most of our wool is going in, into the textile, then that's what I use is I use that low value wool. Wool that, that is like black wool that doesn't take dye. There's been no market for that. Very coarse wool. There's been no market for that. So those are all the wools that I use to make the pellets. And even with our farm, we produce about 6,000 pounds of this low value wool with our farm. So I use that, but then I've been buying wool you know, from other farmers across the country. I bought wool from Vermont to California. So the biggest problem that I have with that is every sheep farmer says, oh, well, you know, this is a great idea. I love it. Buy my wool. And I'm like, well, I can't I can't buy everyone's wool. I don't, there's not that big of a demand for the wool pellets yet. But I mean, eventually that's what I hope for. And one of my goals for this is I, I've tried to make it so that I can pay the farmer. And, and I've done that. I, you know, anyone I buy wool from, I'm paying, you know, I mean, if they could sell it, it was like five cents a pound. And I've been buying it for 50 cents a pound because I'm like, that's a lot better price. And I'd like to get it to where it's, you know, valuable for the farmer to make more profit and, and a living. I'm a sheep farmer. That's why I got into this. And that's really my goal with the sheep industry. And I think that's so amazing about the sheep is the best wool goes to the textile industry, but the good stuff where the sheep's been rolling around and poop and all the good nutrients, like we want that <laughs> for our plants. So it's like everything can get used. And it, again, another amazing, sustainable option, you know, as you were talking I think once there's more education around the use of wool pellets and the benefits of it, we'll be seeing more of it. So Albert, get ready. <laughs> it is growing. You know, it is growing a lot. When we first started, everyone, like for our sign or anything, people would be like, wood pellets? I'd go to a garden show and they'd be like, wood pellets? Why would I want wood pellets? I'm like, no, 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 they're wool. We actually went to a neighboring booth and they were selling stuffed animals, uh, you know, like plush, you know, children's toys. And they had a, a little lamb there that was almost life-size and so we were like hey can we can we buy that from you and they're like are you kidding me like why we're like well because we'd like to use it in our booth and they're like well it'd be this much 
which was way more than what you could buy it for normally. We're just like, okay, you know. So we bought it and then we went and put it right on the table with our booth. And, you know, people were like, oh, what's this little sheep have to do with wood pellets? We're like, oh, no, no, it's wool pellets, right? And so there was just a lot of education. You know, the other thing that we get a lot is people say, oh, well, you want the wool with a lot of manure in it. We're like, no, you know, actually, because the sheep will get these big balls of, of manure and I can't even put that into the mill because it'll plug the mill up. So I have to pull those out. But the other problem is, is that the sheep manure is about 3% nitrogen. So the more volume of manure you have in pellet, actually the, the lower the nutritional value because really the nutrition is the wool itself. That's amazing. I was telling Albert before I hit the record button that this summer I went to visit my folks and we went to the county fair and my kids just kept, they kept hiding from me because I was going around to all the kids in FFA and 4-H and I was like so what do you guys do with all that wool and they're looking at me like we throw it in the trash I'm like what I have the business opportunity for you children and I was have your mom and dad pull up Amazon and look up wool pellets and you might be enlightened you guys are always looking for fundraisers so you should be selling wool your wool for wool pellets and so my kids were just like oh she's at it again and so when we came back to our county fair I did the same thing and so I have a lot of my kids friends we don't have animals on our farm so I've been encouraging them to you know look into it and you had mentioned that you're working actually out here in Oregon with Douglas County FFA about your outreach with them so maybe talk a little bit about that the 4-H program is you know is is awesome we've had two really great experiences just this past year with different 4-H uh, groups from different parts of the country. So one was the Douglas County 4-H there in Oregon who had reached out. The advisor had learned about wolf Ellis and she, they were going to have a farm day and they were like, would you be willing to give us some samples? And I said, yeah, how many would you, would you like? And so, you know, we ended up sending them, I don't know, a hundred and something samples for every kid that went to the, like the farm field day or whatever it was. And, and that was something that they were able to, to talk about is using everything from the farm. I mean, because it wasn't just about sheep. It was about, you know, the cows and the chickens and everything, And which I just think is, a again, that's a fantastic message to get more kids to understand, you know, where food comes from, the value that of always looking for ways to use what may be discarded in the best way possible. The other FFA group was actually from Albertville, Alabama. They were two middle school aged girls who had decided that they wanted to do their science project on wool. And so they started looking, doing some research on wool. They ran across the wool pellets. They told their teacher, they said, hey, we want to do our science project on these wool pellets. So she helped them buy some wool pellets off of Amazon. They they didn't buy them from us, but just off of Amazon. Uh, They were our pellets on Amazon. They bought them and they started running their science experiment. The teacher was just like, what? I can't believe what I'm seeing. So then the teacher went on and and bought some more wool pellets for her whole class. So she had called me after she did this experiment with her, with all of her classes and asked if we would be willing to donate to help these kids. What she had done is she always has the kids grow and they were growing corn. She's like, we planted the corn on Thursday and we had a long weekend. So we planted the corn on Thursday and then had them on the heat pad under the lamps. When we got back on Tuesday, because Monday was, they had off. She's like, the corn was already up like an inch and a half. She's like, I could 
couldn't believe it. She's like, that's never happened. And I was just shocked. And But these two young girls with their science experiment, they were able to win their school science experiment. They went on, won their state science experiment. And then they went to the nationals for FFA. And they, I think they took like sixth place. And that's where the teacher had called us and asked us if we would be willing to help donate to them. And so what we did is we actually set them up with a kind of a fundraiser. You know, we donated some cash and we donated a product that they could then sell. So it's been fantastic. And, and with that, then we've reached out to a lot of other FFA classes and groups and offered like a class package that had the wool pellets. So we have quite a few of them that are testing it this year in their classes. And I know my uh, younger brother works with his FFA program and they do hanging baskets. And I know the group here, they do it as well for Mother's Day fundraiser. As they're creating those hanging baskets, another use is incorporating those wool pellets into the medium in the hanging baskets. Yeah, it's just, I'm really excited to see more people using them. I think it's like we've been talking about just informing people, educating them on the benefits of use of the wool pellets. And I really think once folks know, they'll be growing more with wool pellets than they will the alternatives that aren't necessarily sustainable. Albert, this has been so awesome. I just thank you so much for your time and letting me geek out on wool and all the amazing benefits. But I also want to acknowledge that you guys are a family business. And so what does the team look like there for you? Because I saw your tech advisors at the very beginning. Just tell us a little bit more about as you guys are growing, who's helping you there? Not only on the farm, but there's a lot of things that go into a business like social media, marketing, website design, all the things that sometimes can be even more daunting than shearing the sheep. So maybe tell us a little bit about your team. You know, right now I've got two of my sons. So that was that was my my tech support there was one of my sons. You know, they're twins. So I've got seven kids. They're all boys, but uh, my oldest two are twins. And so they're helping me now here at Wild Valley Farms. And then I have a an office manager who's a neighbor here that she's she's been fantastic to be able able to bring her on she helps with you know a lot of those things to try and be able to do and you know during the summer when school's out then I've got nieces and nephews my other sons they always they'll come down help you know the fun thing about being on the farm and that's why I wanted to raise my children on the farm was it's like the shearing time when it's shearing time it's the whole family it's extended family it's cousins it's aunts it's uncles we make a a great big meal and and everyone eats and it's just a lot of fun and anyone if 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 anyone ever wants to come during cheering time, we're here in Croydon, 1st of May. You're more than welcome to come, you know, to come by and, and we'll feed you and yeah, we'll have a good time. So that's really fun. And that's the, the thing that I like. And, and like I say, I've had a couple neighbors that have worked for me for, you know, some small stints, which have been fantastic because the one neighbor, he's actually originally from Uruguay. He just mechanically, he helped me be able to fix the pellet mills that we have and make the whole production line more efficient so that you know it's a lot better so it's just it's been really fun and it's been great to have you know the family and and like I say the neighbors help with the whole project now do you have your own mill or are you still working with your buddy to pelletize the wool my friend that has the large mill it's down in Salt Lake he usually lets me have a one week a year because I mean they're making wood pellets and that's what they do full-time is making uh, wood pellets and they can actually they could sell more than 
they make right now. So, I mean, it's it's very kind of him to leave a week for me to have that open. And I can make a lot of wool pellets through the big mill in that one week. But I do have, I actually have two small mills here on the farm. And so we're actually getting to now where I am getting, we're selling enough that I have to kind of be running those more full time, which is, that's, I've got one of my sons that that's what he's helping me do. And so that's great to try and get a little bit more consistency in the business because that's always hard if it's not consistent. I always love this. You know, I come from a family that has farmed vegetables and fruits and I'm the first one to do flowers. So I always love asking those that are part of a multiple farming generation. So what do you think your ancestors and those before you would be thinking about this new way of farming and innovation? What do you think that they would say? My great-grandfather, he passed away when I was 18 years old. So I was a senior in high school. So I could just imagine what him and then my grandfather. My grandfather passed away in, in 2008. I know both of them. They were longtime sheep men. And I can guarantee you that they would just be shocked. I mean, even I just remember when being young, c- complaining about the wool. You know, because when you shear, there's always those the little pieces that are all over the ground there where you shear. And they're just like, oh, that wool's it doesn't decompose. It'll be there till next year. Of course, they were talking about the wool prices too, because my great-grandfather in 1927, I remember it was like 1993 or something. We He was just like, because he and he died in 95, but he was like, we got the same price for our wool in 1993 that we got in, in 1927. And he's like, and yet all the expenses, everything else is up, but the price of the wool is same. And I just remember people talking about burying the wool at the time, like, because even going into the textile industry, there wasn't any value. So it's just like, you have all this wool and you're like, what am I going to do with it? I, I can't continue to store it in the barn because I've got too much. You know, next year, you know, I've got that much more. And so, you know, people were burying it. So yeah, I know that for sure, my dad, he's kind of like, I mean, at first I think he thought, whatever, this is never going to work. But my son's got some crazy ideas. and But he's he has been supportive, <laughs> you know, but I mean, he yeah, he was just like, no, nah, I don't think it'll work. You know, now he's kind of like, wow, that's amazing. But I can tell my dad or my grandfather, my great grandfather would have been like, what the heck? I wish we would have known that. I'm sure that's what they were thought. I love asking that question because it is, yeah, looking back, like they, I'm sure they're just scratching their heads like, wow, but that's what's cool is, I don't know, I feel like our world is becoming a lot more complicated and complex and finding new and exciting ways to create new products or just whatever it may be. It's really exciting to see what people are doing like you and being true innovators and helping our earth by creating a sustainable alternative that we all can use and benefit from. So with that said, how can folks find your products? What's kind of your sales outlets? Maybe just share how folks can find you and follow you for not only inspiration, but to find your products and purchase them as well. I mean, we have all of our products on on our website, which is wildvalleyfarms.com. We are working, I mean, you know, one of the questions that we get, a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to use peat and I don't really love cocoa core. So we're actually working on a, a new growing media right now that I'm going to call three free peat. It's three, but with a free peat um, because it's been, it's, it's a recycled product that's been recycled three times now. But instead of, again, it going into the waste system, then we're using that. We're running tests on it right now, but, and it looks great. looks like the germination rate is the same as cocoa core, which cocoa core is good uh, germination rate. I, I really like it that way, but this has very similar germination rate. It's zero peat. There's no cocoa core in it. Anyway, I, it's a good product. So 
you know, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, any of the social media platforms we're using. And then you can buy our product on Amazon and also on Lowe's.com for any online sales. There's a few stores. We picked up distributors, mainly back east. So then there's independent garden centers that are also carrying the product that's in your area. We continue to grow. But right now, yeah, really online is where most people are, are finding the product and uh, purchasing from. And we're always running specials or sales, both on any of them. I use a specific organic compost mix for my soil blocks. So I would totally be a customer that buys that three product. If it comes in a bag, it's got the compost in it, the wool mixed in it. All I have to do is pour it into my bucket and add water and there's my soil blocking medium. Albert, I'm planting the seed. You need to make this and sell it because I know myself as a flower farmer and those that are listening, especially those that do, I mean, even if you don't do soil blocking, but you're putting your trays together, like that would be in very high demands. Like I said, I, and I have had a number of people being like, hey, we'll test it out for you, which is great. I mean, you know, we, we would love that. Again, it's something that is a huge problem for another farm product really is what it is. But anyway, it's something that we get asked a lot because we are recycling so much and not just the wool pellets, but by doing the compost and, you know, we get calls all the time with different products of people being like, well, I've got this and, and, and all sorts of things like people wanting to have compostable diapers and they're like, well, you compost these, right? To all sorts of things. And it's like, okay, like we'll, we'll try it and we'll compost it. And, and, you know, we sell a lot of our compost, you know, to farmers. And so I can put those out just to the farms, you know, rather than, you know, or golf courses. We do compost a lot of golf courses that way again, because of that, like the product that it is. And so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it, I think it'll be a really good product. It's really going to help out as far as a, a waste stream to make it a usable product. And I know we've talked about coconut corn. Initially, I was using it as an alternative as well until I was introduced to wool. But what I like about the wool versus coconut is that it just feels more sustainable. It's got the nutritional value. It just, to me, is a lot more sustainable product and than, you know, the coconuts. I am voting for everybody to try it. And Albert, I just really thank you for your time. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to mention? Or has there been anybody that's inspired you that you'd like to give a shout out to? I don't know. There's always things that come up, but I think I've talked about everything. The wool pellets, but there's a lot of people that influence on the creation of the wool pellets. You know, Brian Gold from Pioneer Greenhouses. Um, like I said, he's put a lot into it, believed in it ever since, not that first day, but the second day, he's believed in it. But then also my friend with the pellet mill, Dave Shredbeck. It's amazing how many things really had to come together to make it possible. I'm very grateful for all of them and, and my family. So they've been very supportive and helpful. So everybody give Wild Valley Farms a follow. Check out their website for all their product offerings, including the compost tea, because I know a lot of our flower farmer friends use it as well. But Albert, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you being here and sharing all your knowledge and just celebrating your journey too. So thank you. Well, thank you, Rochelle. I just want to say thank you again to Albert for this conversation. I learned so much in this interview and I hope that you've learned just as much listening to it. But as I was talking with Albert, I was reminded of my grandparents who grew fruit in the Hood River Valley. And it really reminded me of this lesson that my grandmother constantly taught me was just getting back to basics. Mother Nature provides us with what we need. We just need to 
start listening and opening our eyes to the resources that she provides us with. It kind of goes back to what Albert said about the wool that he uses for the wool pellets is traditionally what was discarded, but it was actually the best wool there is because it had all the nutritional value needed for plants to grow and be successful in their growth. You know, it's these crazy ideas that tend to be the brilliant ones. And I hope if anything you get out of this conversation is that many of us are new to flower farming. We come from a great background of multiple careers and experiences. And as we are just challenged as a society to look at things differently, to be better stewards, I hope that this is an inspiration to you. If you have that crazy idea, start exploring it. Start being your own citizen scientist and testing what may look like a crazy idea, but it might actually be a really brilliant one. So I really just hope that you follow Wild Valley Farms and really check out their products. I'm excited to see what Albert and his family continue to produce as their research continues. I also am so inspired that he is connecting with our youth and I just encourage you to do the same. I know I'm going to share this episode with many of my community members that are in like the 4-H and the FFA programs because I think it's just another tool that we can start to share with our children and our community members about how we can be better. Oftentimes I think it's folks just don't know. They don't know when they go by that hanging basket that there could be a better medium that goes into that pot that not only keeps that plant looking beautiful but it's more sustainable and they can feel good about that purchase. And so I just again thank you Albert for this conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed it and give them a follow and go buy some wool pellets. Thanks again friends and we will talk again soon. Take care. Well, that wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for joining in to the conversation. And together, all boats will rise and local flowers will be blooming fabulous in all of our communities. So if you are a fellow flower farmer that want to join in on the conversation, please reach out to us to get you scheduled for a podcast episode. And if you're just listening in and enjoy the podcast, please share with your friends, your family, and everybody you know. We really appreciate it. Thank you.